probably get going. Uh, Luke 14, maybe we'll finish Luke by Easter if I do a chapter a week, but let's not get our hopes up. If you recall from Luke 13, so last, uh, last so we, we stopped just before Advent, I think, the last Sunday in, in Pentecost. So uh, it's, it's been a little bit of time, but Jesus has been in conversation with the Pharisees. And in Luke 13, he'd actually done a, a Sabbath healing. He'd done some significant preaching on repentance, talked about the narrow door, uh, him being the narrow door, he's, he's the way in. Um, and then he laments over Jerusalem's unbelief. That's kind of where we are so as a quick, a quick summary to get to chapter 14. And his, I'll just, I'll just jump right in here, this conversation at a Pharisee's house for dinner. Luke 14, verse 1. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully, and behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. And then he goes on with with verse seven. Now he told them a parable which is tied to this event. So um, just this first look at the Sabbath in, in the immediate context and this conversation with this Pharisee, a group of Pharisees, but keep in the back of your mind that Jesus is about to tell a parable. And unfortunately, our lectionary splits the readings up just for the sake of time. You'll have like Jesus doing a miracle and then the next week we hear about this uh, parable in verse seven. And it, so we, we, it, it gets disjointed, but Jesus is gonna tell this parable at the wedding feast in response to what happens in, in the, the beginning of Luke 14. So one Sabbath, uh, he went to dine at the house of a ruler. So you get this picture. There's a lot of eating, if you recall, happening in Luke. That's a clear theme in Luke, these feasting. And it becomes a big deal in Luke 24 when, he, when he's invited into the house of the apostles and they say, Jesus, come in, abide with us. And he takes bread and he breaks it and they recognize him in the breaking of the bread. So this this Fellowship, eating together is a consistent theme. And Jesus is often eating. He's eating with tax collectors and sinners, which gets him in a little trouble with the Pharisees. But he's also eating with Pharisees. And as we mentioned before, a lot of times what would happen is he would be, if he's going to be speaking at the, at the, or at the synagogue on this next Saturday morning. So remember, Sabbath starts at sunset on Friday. So basically, the, the leader of the, of the synagogue would invite the speaker, if they're having a, a, big, a big rabbi in town, they're inviting him over to the house for dinner. That's normal. We'd, we'd do the same thing here. So uh, it's sun, after sunset on, on Friday night, they have Jesus over for Friday dinner. And usually the, the teacher would t- kind of unfold a little bit of what he's going to be talking about the next day at synagogue. And uh, so Jesus shows up, but obviously, you know, the Pharisees ha- have had it out for Jesus. And so they're watching him carefully. He goes to their house to dine at a ruler of the Pharisees. And by this point, we know this just from maybe growing up in the faith and having heard the scriptures time and time again, the Pharisees aren't good guys. You know, when you see Pharisees, you don't think, oh, good, Jesus with Pharisees. He's in good hands. You know, no one thinks that. But he, he, by this, Jesus knows it now too. 
And yet he willingly goes. So at the end of 13, he had said, remember they're, they're going up to Jesus and saying, hey, you gotta get out of here. Uh, they're gonna uh, run away. Where is it? Hold on, let me find it. Verse 31 of chapter 13. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to Jesus, get away from here for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, go and tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow. And the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I'm gonna go my way today and tomorrow, etc." Basically saying, I'm gonna keep doing my thing. I'm not worried about Herod. Neither am I worried about some Pharisees little trap that they're setting for me. So Jesus is willingly walking into the hornet's nest here. And they're watching him carefully. So it wasn't like they, they invited him over to share their bounty with him, but they're, they're, they're watching, they're hoping that he does something to trip, to trip up so they can arrest him and, and get onto him. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. Now, this doesn't, this doesn't just happen. He, like at your house, if you're inviting guests over for your home, you kind of have some control of who's eating at your table, right? So this guy doesn't just show up. Why is he there? It's a setup. It's a trap, like that infamous line from Star Wars. It's a trap. What is dropsy? Yeah, so, so the, there's all, the, the commentators kind of take it, uh, they speculate it's what we would call edema. If you've seen, a lot of times this happens, I guess a lot of times I... Um, I have seen it in my limited hospital time with visiting people when the kidneys start to go and the body is not like processing water like it should be, the body swells. And um, it's obviously very painful, this inflammation within the body. The word dropsy comes from the Greek word, it's the same Greek word for water, basically. So talking about water, somehow water in the body. So that's what we would see as water causing the, the body to swell. So he's in great pain and he is inflamed. And I want to run with that idea because when, when you think about the physical suffering that people go through and why they're going through that physical suffering, we can ask the question, as I ask in the first question on your handout, was the man with dropsy suffering because he was inflamed with sin? And do we suffer illnesses because of our failure to keep the law, because of our sin? And do we avoid illness and maintain health because of our success in law keeping? Obviously, I think you're all easily be able to say to that, well, of course not. Uh, of course, we don't, we don't suffer. <laughs> it's a trap. Uh, obviously, he's not suffering dropsy because he's inflamed to sin. But first of all, maybe just individually in our own in our own sinful nature, whenever there's like someone who's, who we don't like or they're evil or they've done some kind of like outwardly evil thing and then some evil befalls them, kind of like in the back of your mind maybe, he had, he had it coming, right? Um, and also when, when, when great things happen um, to those who are, when something great finally happens to somebody who's been just a great person, we just rejoice and find good. He's finally, he finally got s some good that he deserved. Um, but then we get out, we, we kind of, we're not consistent in that. We, it flips around whenever like somebody is really 
I guess we are consistent in it. When somebody is like innocent, a really nice person and bad stuff just keeps happening to them, we're like, we get frustrated that this shouldn't be. Or when there's somebody who's evil and notoriously evil and out like openly, publicly, unrepentantly evil and, um, and good keeps happening to them, we get frustrated with that. So we still think in the back of our mind, there should be some sort of like, there should be some suffering as a, as a direct punishment for sin and some reward for our goodness. So we do, we do, I think, if we're honest, we do in some way think that, even though we look at this guy and I ask the question, he's inflamed, he's got dropsy, is he suffering with dropsy because he did something wrong to deserve this punishment, right? And we all would say, of course not. Someone gets struck in your family with cancer, you don't say, well, he's getting that because he didn't keep the fourth commandment very well when he was little or something. I mean, no one thinks that way, right? Now, first, we, we, we do recognize that we suffer, in our, we, we suffer physically as a result of sin in general, to be sure, right? So the fact that there's sin in the world, we suffer the consequences of sin in this world. So we are all impacted by the sun causing cancer in some way, aging and the, the impact of aging on, on our bodies, aging itself as a march toward death versus we think prior to the fall into sin, aging wasn't a problem. And in heaven, we'll continue to age, and we, but we won't age toward death. We'll be aging away from death. So as we continue to get older, as things are getting better and better as we're marching away from death. But now on this side of heaven, the march toward death and our age is, uh, is kind of this, this sad thing. So we do suffer in this world as a consequence of sin, not necessarily as a, direct, as a direct consequence of our sin. Some are easier to see than others. So like when there's somebody, um, if you're living a life of crime, and so when you watch like Breaking Bad or something, I don't, I don't encourage you to do that, but if you do, like you're, 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 you're cooking meth and selling meth, why are you surprised when bad stuff happens to you, right? So if you're living this, if you're living in this sinful, particular sinful lifestyle, and there, are, there are obviously, um, um, so what I'm looking for, consequences, consequences for, for some of our sins. And yet there are others who do the same actions. I mean, like famously, uh, is it uh, Burns? What's the, the last name is Burns. Is my, George Burns who smoked a cigar and lived to be like 103. How do you, like most people smoke, they die before they're 70 of heart disease or lung cancer. Every, cancer is behind, or uh, smoking is behind like every, every disease, but not, not all the time, right? So sometimes people get, uh, get off from these, uh, get, get off from having to suffer those consequences. So uh, do we suffer? Is this man suffering um, as a consequence of his sin? And the Pharisees would say, yes, definitely. And we know this because other times Jesus has interacted with them and he's asked, are these people suffering because, the, like this man who's born blind. Was he born blind because of his sin or, the, or his sin of his parents or, and his teaching them, no. He's just being in a sinful world, right? Um, so, but the Pharisees, when they see sin and they see, or sorry, when they see someone suffering in some physical way, they're thinking they're getting what, what's coming to them. And uh, I, if I understand it fully, it's also the Hindus have a similar view in reincarnation. If, you're, if you've ever... Um, looked into this, 
in like Hindu, countries that are heavily Hindu populated, like India, they've got a high homeless population. You know why that is? I mean, obviously there's lots of economic reasons why that would be. But there's not people, there's not like this drive in Hinduism to help the poor. Why is that? If I'm a, if I'm a gung-ho, faithful, worshiping Hindu, why am I not motivated to help the guy who's begging on the street? Why is he begging on the street? He's getting what's coming to him. He did something in his previous life to deserve this. And so why am I motivated to help him? And you see a little bit of that maybe behind the Pharisees because when a guy shows up with this disease and it's like Jesus is sitting there, they know Jesus can heal. He's done it all the time. He's, he's got this great reputation because of it at this point. And the guy shows up in great pain with this edema, this, this uh, dropsy. You think they'd be like, oh, you should go see Jesus. He's got the, he'll heal you. And they don't. In fact, they're using this as an opportunity to, to trap Jesus. They have no mercy. And it's because they're thinking he's suffering because of something he's, what he's done. And they're better than him because they're not suffering this way. So this is a shocking, a shocking meal episode. It'd have been like having a nice formal dinner and then someone just walks in with some uh, terrible disease, They're like vomiting and whatever, and they just lay down. Jesus takes them in and lays them down on the table and like to, takes off some of their clothes and starts working on like, what, what are you doing? You gotta move the casserole, right? This is what's happening. There's a nice dinner and this guy's showing up. He's unclean and Jesus invites him in. And he just, he pulls them aside. He looks at the Pharisees. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? And they don't answer the question. Then he heals them and sends them away. So he just like, he takes care of this guy. He's healed, gone. And then he turns to the Pharisees. Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on the Sabbath, will not immediately pull him out? They couldn't reply to these things. You, you hypocrites. So what are they, what are they, willing to do on the Sabbath. They're willing to bring life and healing to their own child or their own animal, but they're not willing to let other people do it. So how are they, how are they seeing the Sabbath? What is, the, what is the, the law regarding the Sabbath that the Pharisees are trying to keep? Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Why would it not be lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So, we, and, we, and I think we'd be right. It's some kind of work that you can't do. Jesus, in fact, in, in chapter 13, he was yelling at, yelling at the Pharisees about the same thing. And we talked about the Sabbath then, but we'll, uh, we'll do it again here now. Um, the point of the Sabbath is not so that we keep the Sabbath. So God didn't give us a Sabbath just to give us a, this arbitrary law. So the Sabbath was made for man. God didn't make man and say, okay, now that I've made you, now you can, you can keep the Sabbath. But rather, he, keep, he made the Sabbath and he, he makes it, he rests. He's the one who makes it holy and then he gives the Sabbath to man. Why? To, what's that? It's good for us to rest. So this rest... This good, and what comes from rest? Healing, recovery. And, and that is, um, 
when, what's behind the Sabbath is ultimately healing. And, and that's also tied to what is, a, what, is the Christ, what is the Jew supposed to do on the Sabbath? What's this? Worship, which is primarily hearing his word, taking part in the sacrifices. So being, being, living the life of faith of a Christian, hearing God's word and living the life of praise that follows from it, right? And from that word, God is doing the, the healing. That's the main thing. It's all about the healing, not about keeping the command for the sake of keeping the command. So when Jesus shows up, they're trying to keep a command for the sake of a command, and Jesus is about healing. And he is the Sabbath. So the whole idea of Sabbath and resting, Hebrews uh, 4 and following, makes a big clear line of argument as, as Jesus is the Sabbath rest from the law. So as those who are in Christ, that is us, we rest from the law. That is, we're not trying to desperately keep the law so that it might save us. He's kept it fully. Now we rest from the law, right? And now when we keep the law, we do it in love toward the neighbor, right? So now, but we, but we, from a salvation and this desperate sense of trying to keep the law, we're resting from it. Jesus is our Sabbath rest. And now Jesus walks into this Pharisee's house, Sabbath rest itself has walked into the Pharisee's house to heal. And the Pharisees don't really like it. Now, the second handout that I gave you, the one without pictures on it, we'll call it the boring handout. Uh, there's a question on one of the sites, how is the Christian to consider the Sabbath? I wrote this whole thing and then I put it on the handout. That made the handout too long, so I, I cut it, but I liked it, so I, <laughs> I'm gonna read it. You can read along. How is the Christian to consider the Sabbath? When the Lord set up the Sabbath as the day of rest, then later when he had the temple built for all Israel to go to, and when he told the Israelites to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, the Lord was doing all this and was speaking his commandment to a people who were unholy. How can unholy people keep anything holy? Can a man with greasy hands keep anything clean? Sinners can no more keep the Sabbath holy then a sinner can forgive his own sins. So the commandment in keeping it holy is problematic for those who are unholy. And it's God himself who told us to keep it holy. And we're like, how do I keep anything holy? If I try to touch it, I'm gonna break it. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? The Sabbath is the Lord's day of healing, of cleansing the sinner, of bringing peace to the conscience, of bestowing the gifts of God's glance, uh, grace, on those living in fear. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. He did not make man for the Sabbath, but he made the Sabbath for man. As Jesus walked into the Pharisee's house, Sabbath rest walked into that house. For that is who Jesus is, the Sabbath rest for every sinner. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? That's what the Sabbath is for. After the cross, it's no particular 24-hour period on the calendar. This is key for us in our, in our thinking of the Sabbath today. It's not a particular 24-hour period on the calendar. It is Jesus coming in his word to give us rest from our sins, which happens, hopefully, daily. It is him and his sacrament making us one with him. Him and his baptism joining us to his death and resurrection. Sabbath rest is him coming to a family as they turn in for the evening, dwelling with them in his word, hearing their evening prayer. It is him coming to a student in the dorms, to a patient in the hospital, to a police officer dealing with crimes, coming in his word to all those he loves, giving peace and rest of the gospel. 
So it's God coming to us in our various vocations, giving us rest from the law, right? Freedom from our sins, peace with God, daily living in the Sabbath. He wants the Pharisees to know that. So they're missing out on that wonderful thing. What a miserable way to live. He wants the Pharisees to know that. He wants to pull the Pharisees back from their works righteousness to rescue them from putting themselves and everyone else under the law, like the guy with dropsy. He loves these Pharisees and he wants them to know God as the Holy One who makes a sinner holy purely as a gift, who speaks a word to justify those living in guilt, bringing mercy and grace into lives covered in shame. So imagine being a Pharisee and then like your kid gets the flu. How do you think about the flu? It's like, this is my fault or my kid's fault. He, he, he must have done something. You'd have been more obedient last week, right? So what a terrible way to live. And, and if I'm not sick, I'm better than those who are. And that's just looking at our temporal experience, but obviously they've got this in mind for this, the, the holiness before God based on their works. So Jesus is trying to free them from that because it's a terrible, terrible way to live. And so to free them from it, he tells them a parable. So, so the guy with dropsy is gone. They're silenced because they don't know how to answer his question on whether or not it's lawful to heal on the Sabbath. And he says, verse seven, so there's anything else I wanna... But before I get in the wedding feast, are there any questions lingering from that? I know I'm kind of like going to finish this thought here. Uh, first and back and then back. Yeah, John. Yeah, um, I mean, it occurs to me that if they're going to say that illness is the result of sin and then the Sabbath is for cleansing skin, sin, then according to them, wouldn't healing on the Sabbath be a perfect use of that day? I mean, the illness itself is the result of sin. He's cleansing the person of sin. Yeah, right. So, so this is what I'm saying. The purpose for the Sabbath is to cleanse sin. That is the right way of viewing it. But it's not how the Pharisees were practicing it. So the Pharisees are trying to keep the law for the sake of keeping the law. So for this guy being there, the act of healing him from edema or, or even forgiving his sins, any, doing anything is not good. We should be abstaining from all these things. For some reason, I don't know. Uh, yeah, Keith. Um, there's a reference in my Bible um, to uh, Genesis 2, the first three verses, where it's talked about how God sets the Sabbath day to make it holy. Um, but it, 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 it explains that all days equally belong to God. And uh, with Christ's fulfillment of the law through his death, uh, that you know, our faith you know, wants us to desire to come together to worship where we can be healed through hearing his word and uh, listening and getting his, getting his sacraments. So I think that, that's, a, to me, a good, good explanation as to what was going on here with the Pharisees. Yeah, is that the Lutheran Study Bible, yeah. CPH? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if you're looking for a good self-study Bible, the, the CPH has a great one, Lutheran Study Bible. Um, the... Unfortunately, there's so many mis, uh, uh, un, unhelpful teachings on the Sabbath going around. So you get the popularization of Sunday as a place, a day you don't work, thanks to Chick-fil-A and Hobby Lobby, right? Um, but ultimately, that's not the Sabbath. Sabbath is Saturday, if we're following the, the proper counting of it from the scriptures, um, which is Saturday is the day when you cut your grass, Right? <laughs> right. 
Sunday, so the Catholics, I can't remember if it was Vatican II, any, any former Catholics can maybe help me on this. At some point, the Catholics like officially moved Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday. How do you do that? Why do you do that? It just creates more confusion. Uh, I got into a, a conversation uh, with, a, with a Seventh-day Adventist on that point, and, he's, and he was making the case that the Sabbath, we're not keeping the Sabbath, and this is like this damnable thing for us. Um, and, and he blames the Catholics for this, um, the, their false view of the Sabbath and this, all this confusion. But um, I, the way Luther goes at it in the, in the large catechism, and I think if especially reading it through Hebrews, we do think about the Sabbath differently. Coming, Theology on Tap, next week we're actually going to be reading the large catechism on the third commandment, so come to that if you're available. Um, but... It, all the commandments were certainly, we keep, they're all for keeping. It's not like, oh, so Jesus died and rose, and so now I can murder my neighbor and commit adultery and steal their stuff, right? And yet, we, and yet when it comes to Sabbath, you all drove here. You, you went too many, too many feet, right? Like, and whoever set up for fellowship, thank you, by the way, whoever did that, but that's pretty sure that's a no-no, Right? And you shovel your snow. All these, all these, these become significant problems. So, yeah, so we're like, we're inconsistent if we're planning to keep the Sabbath in the way that the Old Testament gives it to the Jew. The, the, the Sabbath is the one commandment that is of the Old Testament, of the, of the different law category. But it is, it is filled up with meaning with Jesus. So he doesn't abolish the law. He fulfills it. He fulfills the Sabbath. And so now we keep the Sabbath not by abstaining from work and physically resting. But you, I mean, you can certainly do that. But the Sabbath is kept by doing the thing that, that makes us clean, by the thing that makes us holy. What makes us holy? His word and sacrament, Jesus, Right? So hearing from him, hearing his word is, the, is living in the Sabbath. So yeah, we could say, it, it, you could say the Sunday is Sabbath day, but really it's not about a day. You kind of get the idea of a day out of your mind and the whole concept of Sabbath, of resting from the law because of what Jesus has done is the life that I live. So, to, uh, so in the catechism, uh, the third commandment, you should, you should not... Um, um, Despise preaching it, you should not despise preaching it in his word, but hold it sacred and gladly hear and learn it. So don't just hear and learn it, but be glad about it. I don't see enough smiles out there for you guys. Uh, but this is the idea. So it's all, the third commandment is all about hearing God's word. We should, we should fear and love God so we do not despise his word because it's the thing that makes us holy. But we should rejoice in hearing it. And yes, I can't even keep that. So if you want more laws, this is a good one. Like I need to, I need to be hearing God's word, reading God's word, rejoicing in God's word. And my sinful flesh says no, just as much as my miniature dachshund says no to taking a bath in the cold water. Like, no, I don't want it. You know? Um, let's see. Anything else on the Sabbath? All right. So let's get this parable because it, it is connected. The parable of the wedding feast. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be, invi uh, you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. 
But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And he gives another, another parable of, of, within the wedding feast as well. And I don't think we'll get to it today, but we'll, we'll, um, we'll get to it next week, hopefully. Jesus is on his way to do what big thing? Die on the cross. Interesting, he would stop to give advice on how to conduct yourself at parties. Unless he's not really doing that. Now, I, I, certainly anybody reading this can say this is good advice. I mean, no one wants to be shamed, right? So it's, it's, it's a good social etiquette, perhaps, especially to avoid these awkward situations of, of putting, yourself in a, putting yourself in an awkward situation at, at a party. Like you don't go, you, you show up at a wedding and hey, look at that table in the front. It's got like more, like better silverware than these, these other tables out here. I'm going to go sit there. It's almost like how we plan our own weddings, right? Well, now, so this situation is avoided now. We all, we all kind of do our guests the favor. I mean, t- I mean t- typically, uh, you see it where it's like a place card, you know, where you carefully have to strategically. I remember our wedding and Mandy, like, calling me. I was at seminary. She's planning the wedding and trying to, hey, do you think these people would sit with you? I don't care. <laughs> or you're think, thinking through, though. You're trying to think through, okay, who's going who's gonna to get along with who and get all their seats? So now it's all carefully planned. Um, so you don't have this kind of awkward, some of these awkward situations, but you could, if you could still show up, disregard the place cards and go sit at the head table, then you're kind of kindly, the father of the bride comes, um, please, you know, escort you down this kind of a shame, a shameful thing. Is Jesus teaching us to, to, when we go to a party, everyone try to sit in the worst place, whatever that would be, whatever the, the, the chair, um, the chair in the back that doesn't have a place setting or whatever. So now he's creating, if, if your goal is to be exalted, because we're, we're, we're still thinking about myself. I, I, in the end, I want to be exalted. If the way for me to get there is to start off in the low chair, it's going to be everybody comes into the party and they're all fighting over the back chair. Not because they actually want to be humble, but why? They want to be, they want to be brought forward. So you can't really get off the hook. Jesus is after, he's still making a point regarding just humility. Everyone, verse 11, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Um, what, is, what is humility? What does it mean to be humble? Not draw attention to yourself. Not draw attention to yourself. In a boastful way. Yeah? You said he was also going to the cross. Him going to the cross is him humbling himself that his father will exalt him at the proper time. And him learning to even have death on the cross to suffer for us in our sins. And after he suffers this, then his father exalts him to a higher spot at the right hand of God in heaven. Exactly. So then this is certainly what's going on. I, I think no question, this is the point that he's making. So he's talking about himself, but also has certainly it has implications for us. And he's going to unfold this more when he talks about taking up your cross and following him, humbling yourself to be humble, to just think of it maybe over simply is to die to yourself. 
You're dead. Other people are alive. You don't matter. They do. So humility is death to self and thinking of others more highly than, than you. And this is what Jesus is doing. He's, he's ultimately, he sees his life as nothing to be kept, but he's, he's dying to self. And ultimately, this, this, the idea of humility is, uh, as Christians, it should characterize us before one another. It should, it, it does, it, it, according to the institution of marriage, it characterizes our marriages. We break it all the time, but marriage is the husband uh, loving the wife as Christ loved the church, coming in humility, that is death to self, uh, looking, to the, looking to the needs of the other. And really, they're both to be in humility to each other as well. So to, to both be looking for the, for the interest of the other, to love the other more than the self is humility. The Christian coming before the Christian and saying, I'm sorry, right? That's a, that's a humility. Not, so I'm, you're, I, I, don't, I don't need to apologize to people I don't care about, right? But so I'm, I'm sorry, I, I've hurt you, and it's not good that I've hurt you, so I'm coming in humility to you. And then your act of forgiving me is humility as well. Because when you're, when you're forgiving something, you, you're admitting that you've been what? Wrong. You've been wronged. That means you're not Superman, right? You are, you are hurtable. And so this, the conversation of forgiveness and being forgiven among the Christian families is a conversation of humility, of uh, coming before one another, seeing, seeing others as, as higher than ourselves. So, but you know, obviously we fail at this, which is why Jesus is the true one who humbles himself and is exalted for us. Um, or question five on your handout. Jesus is not far from the cross. Does he pause here to give social etiquette advice? No. What's he doing in the parable? So think about how this hits the, the Pharisees. So remember he's talking about the Pharisees, the guy with drops he just left. And it's like they're just, they're still like getting over the shock of this guy coming in here with this like weird thing and Jesus healing it. And then he immediately jumps into this parable about, exalting self and, and humility. So the, these, these Pharisees are exalting themselves under the law. They're holding themselves higher than the guy with dropsy. That they are somehow worthy of the life that they have. That they're worthy of, of, of salvation because of their own works righteousness and everybody else is not. And he's taking that away from them. He's, he's wanting to humble them with the parable. So talk about what is humility there and uh, number six there on the handout, how is this about himself is that he is, he is made humble on the cross in our place. He goes to death, death to self, that we would be exalted. So he's, he's exalted as well with his resurrection. And this, so uh, J, uh, Romans six, today's epistle lesson in our baptism, we are, we die with Christ and we rise with Christ. And daily, we live in this baptismal life of daily putting to death the self which is humility. The daily, daily putting to death the old sinful flesh, my own personal desires, especially my own sinful personal desires, putting those to death and, and living before God in righteousness and holiness forever. So that's the parable of the wedding feast. And then, then he, 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 um, he then goes to verse 12. He turns like in the same, it's all in the same breath here. He turns to the guy who invited him when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you and in return you be repaid. 
But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and blind, and you will be blessed, because they can't repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And then a guy sitting there at the table heard these things and didn't know what to say, so he says, uh, blessed is everyone who eats bread in the kingdom of God. There's nothing to do with really what Jesus is talking about, but we'll talk about that in a second. So he, he turns to the guy who invited him, and he gives, I mean, he gives the worst possible advice. When you have a party, who do you invite? Your friends. You don't necessarily, you don't invite them because they can repay you, but you do invite your friends and your brothers and your relatives. And so now when he, get, when he gets in the rich neighbors, he does kind of focus on this, this idea of repayment. Um, but really, Jesus is giving advice on how to, how to throw a terrible party. But he's not talking about throwing a party. Just as he wasn't giving social etiquette advice on where to sit at a party, because he doesn't care about that, right? So it's a funny thing, because when you rip these out of context, you're like, all right, when I'm, when I'm setting my invitation list here, I should be following Jesus' advice on this. Well, that's not, that's not his point. He is making a point that we should be loving our neighbors, but we got to get there. I don't know if we're going to have time today, but we'll talk a little bit more here. Uh, do not invite your friends, your brothers, your relatives, your neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. The Pharisees are all about bookkeeping, getting what is deserved, tracking what I've done this and I get that. That's their way of measuring, right? So this concept of repayment, um, reciprocation for what, I've, for what I've done, and also for the, for the guy with dropsy, getting what he had coming to him. So it's all, the Pharisees are operating in this world of, of getting what is deserved. Vengeance, for, uh, vengeance and reward. But that's not the way of the kingdom. Jesus, he says, when you give a feast, invite those who can't repay you, the poor, the crippled, and blind in his context, the ones who can't do anything for themselves, the ones who don't deserve to be there. I mean, deserve is a weird way to say it, but when you think about when someone's throwing a party, like, obviously, you invite your family, and then the neighbors, you know, so you have, like, your circle of people you invite to a party. Um, so these are the ones you might say that they deserve, they qualify for getting in, and Jesus shatters that. It's not about you qualifying for the kingdom. Uh, you'll be blessed because they cannot repay you. It's the inability to get in. The inability to repay is what actually qualifies them for receiving the gift. You'll be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So just taking that at face value, if you're thinking about the way we live our life toward our neighbor, and loving our neighbors, not as those who can repay us, but simply because who they are, that God has, God has created them and given to me, give, giving them to me as a gift in whatever their vocations are. That's how we're given to love our neighbor. Well, you, can do, you can live that way a lot easier when you, when you hold your whole life, all your decisions, you hold that in check by this view at the resurrection, this eternal view of the last day and ultimately, that is everything, all, everything that happens between now and then is really nothing in contrast to eternity in heaven. So now when I'm thinking about eternity in heaven, it changes the way that I'm, my, the way that I'm generous with my time, with my gifts, with the way I love my neighbor, the way I'm easily able to forgive. Imagine, like, so somebody hurts you now, but we're living in the now. It's like the worst possible thing ever. But when you, when you get this greater context of things, Talk to anybody on their deathbed. The priorities are there. 
right? All the little things that were bothering them when, the, when things were going well and the health was all there, they're, they're kind of not, they're, they're gone. those ideas are gone. So having this eyes on the resurrection frees us up then to, to love our neighbor, those who can't repay us. So that, there is good practical advice in this, but Jesus is again, not giving party advice on, just on the face of it. He's ultimately talking about his cross, given to those who cannot repay him. That is us. The Pharisees think that they're going to deserve it. That they're going to somehow earn it. And that the guy who drops, he doesn't deserve it. And he's precisely the guy who gets the kingdom. So then the guy responds, because uh, he's talking about this eating bread of the kingdom. One of these, one of these reclining tables says, blessed is everyone who eats bread of the kingdom of God, because I think he just doesn't know how to respond. You're going to have a party and invite poor and blind and lame people? That's weird. Uh, this must be what heaven is going to be like. God, that's awesome. And then Jesus turns to him and gives another parable. So we're, we're out of time for today. So we'll pick up there with verse, uh, we'll probably just get the running start, starting with verse 12 for next week. Any final comments or thoughts on that? So we'll pick up Luke, Luke 14, verse 12 next week. Lord be with you.